Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is from our series Nutshells, and in it we talk about the Bible. If you read the Bible, were you to read it more in like the original language, and you can even catch it sometimes in when you're reading it in English, is you can see that there's different personalities. You don't see this maybe as much when people are translating it. Like, Paul writes in a certain way, and Peter writes in a different way, and John writes in a different way. Like, you can see their things. And so it's not like the Spirit of God yanks them up, and it's like, the Spirit is writing the Bible, you know? It's not like that. Um, they wrote things. They were aware of what they were writing. They knew what they were writing. It was written with a purpose, like we're reading the book of Colossians. Paul wrote to the Colossians, and he said, I want to write them a letter because something important is going on. And he writes, and he knows what he's writing the whole time. And it is his purpose, and his personality comes out. But the Spirit of God, there's this um, verse in Second Peter 1.21. It said, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a word picture in there, in the Greek, that comes out a lot. Um, it's like a picture, it's... It's the same word that's used of like wind moved along. It's like a sailboat being moved by the wind. Um, so, like they are writing what they want to write, but the thing that is pushing them and allowing them to do that is the spirit. And then he's protecting them from error. You're not going to write anything erroneous. And it is communicating the truth of God. What this means is that we have First and Second Corinthians, and there are also other letters that were written by Paul. When you read it, you it turns out that 2 Corinthians could actually probably be 3rd or 4th Corinthians because there's some letters that we know that were written in between. We don't have them, and they aren't in our Bible. Um, so Paul wrote other stuff. And, and even Jesus, if you read John, it says, Jesus did many other miracles and many other things. And if all of them were written down, there wouldn't be room for them in all the libraries and all the world, which is a great line. But, but the point is, like we have what God wanted to give us in the Bible. And... These books were protected from error. We believe that they were protected from error by this, by um, the Spirit. But it isn't like he was totally removed from the process, like the men were. Like they definitely were involved in the process. So we believe in the inspiration and infallibility of the word. Now they're gonna, we're going to talk about the. Um, there's another word, inerrancy, but we're not going to talk about it. That'll be in just a second. Infallibility means God's word will not fail to communicate truth. All that is written in the Bible is true. Um, this is, uh, there's a verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What this means is that the Bible, the Bible is true on everything that it teaches on. <laughs> and I know this seems weird, but obviously the Bible doesn't say, should I... Is it okay to read whatever Sojo manga? <laughs> it doesn't have this chapter in the Bible about it, and so we don't need to work. Like there's principles, but anything that the Bible teaches on is true. And um, there was a great phrase when I was looking through some stuff that says the, the inspired scriptures are both inerrant (parentheses) without error and infallible (parentheses) incapable of error on what it teaches. And I know this is kind of like a weird distinction here, but one of them is talking about the actual text, like the words. The other is talking about the ideas. Um, so infallibility talks about the ideas. So, for example, it's, 
it, it doesn't say um, I'm trying to give a good example that um, in order to be saved you must stand on your head in prayer prayer there's actually a cult in China that believes that in order to be saved you have to stand on your head and pray the prayer of salvation otherwise you're not saved um, and so it means when it teaches about salvation by faith alone that is true when it teaches about all these other things that is the ideas behind it are true inerrancy means that it does not contain errors and that one is usually the more important one inerrancy but the Bible is inerrant in its original manuscripts now there's some there's some big ideas here um Inerrancy may not mean what you think it means. Um, and you'll notice that these things say original manuscripts. Um, I'm trying to think where to start with this. Is that this is some deep stuff. And I know that I'm giving you some deep stuff. But I think it's good for you to know it. When we say it is inerrant, that means that there is not a mistake in the Bible. That things are, are historically correct and there are not errors in the original manuscripts. So what this means is that the Bible that we have right now, like if you were to open up your Bible, is not the original John wrote on this Bible. So what happens is this, right? There's this, um, what happens is, especially in the beginning, there weren't printing presses until the Gutenberg Press and way later. Um, and so people had to copy it by hand. So imagine this, if you will. A scribe, a guy is copying it, and um, and I'm let's say I'm writing something I'm like want to write. Rachel is cool. Either one of you, you can both pretend I'm talking about you. <laughs> Rachel is cool, and I'm like R A C, and someone's like, Hey, Greg, and I'm like, Huh? C E L, and so I put two C's, right? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Is that there's there's things called variants in manuscripts, um, where there's there's little mistakes like that because it was hand copied, and so the whole process of this and why it's important is that um, we can there are, there are a couple things that make that point to the fact that our Bible that we have today is trustworthy. Number one, um, most of what we know about Caesar is from a, a collection of stories called the Gallic Wars and um, when we talk about Roman history basically like oh Roman history I can trust that right <laughs> most of what we know about Caesar is because of this thing called the Gallic Wars and the accounts of what's in there okay so the, the oldest manuscript we have we have this, um, this bound copy of it and it's from the year 1000 and the things that record happened like a thousand years beforehand in total copies of the book that are in existence are eight. So we base most of what we know about this guy on eight books that exist a thousand years after he did. Now, the Bible, we have whole copies or partial copies of parts of the New Testament, especially the New Testament is the big one. We have copies of it from like 150 AD. Like, we're talking, that's like really close after it. And we have um, of the New Testament, I think there are 7,000 copies. And they differ in only 1% of, of text, which is huge. And I know this is a lot of numbers. What this means is we have a lot of things that completely and totally agree that, ha that we have that are right after it actually happened. And so I said this before, but I have a professor in college, 
And he was really into this thing called textual criticism, where it's trying to figure out what the original thing actually said by looking at these things. And he had, he knows just so many people when there are actually a lot of biblical scholars are not Christians. They study the Bible for their job, but they don't believe any of it's true. So a lot of people that are that way. But in the area of textual criticism, there are, it is like the percentage of people who are actually Christians and believe in God is so much higher because it is so amazing. Like when you compare the Bible to like other manuscripts and, and stuff like this, when you look at the numbers, it's like blows you away because there's so much more that agrees completely. And so the reason why they add original manuscripts is because they want to acknowledge that there could be something that is errant or perhaps fallible in the thing. Now, this, these errors that I'm talking about, there's several different kinds. Number one, um, I, I kind of gave you an example like where there's a letter repeated. That can happen. Or the other thing can happen. Rachel is cool. I'm like, Rachel? Hey, Greg, what? Cool. And I forgot to put it. Um, if I'm copying this down because I, you know, I get interrupted I start thinking about something else whatever I skip a word or a letter there's other things um, this happened to me actually this morning where you're reading the Bible and you accidentally skip a line you're like reading and you're like and the word of God is dead in your trespasses and what? <laughs> and this happens all the time where you just accidentally skip a line That's, there's another one of those um, or they all have great names, <laughs> like homeotelutan, uh, homeoarchy, haplography, copying what appeared to be the exemplar twice. For example, pewterer instead of pewter. Like, stuff like that. Or um, replete that, that, like, in order that, I don't know. There's the two words back to back, and you just put one instead. There's also addition, addition, like you add in a letter or word, transposition, you kind of switch words around, you're a little dyslexic. And there are alterations, too. Like sometimes people did say, uh, I don't think this is clear enough, so I'm going to add a sentence here, um, which is bad. But that doesn't happen too much. Well, in order so that you can understand this, I have this great quote about this whole thing. Because I know when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, crap, this is really bad. Because it can kind of be like... I. Th- we kind of want to think the Bible fell out of heaven just the way it was, and so, hey, word of God, ah, here it is. Um, but Christianity, in a lot of ways, is very, obviously we believe that a man rose from the dead and that God created the world and stuff, but in a lot of ways, it is a very realistic religion, uh, especially in its scholarship. Um, especially Mormons, they believe that um, Joseph Smith these golden plates fell out of heaven with a a strange language on them and he had magic eyeglasses that allowed him to read them and and that's and so it's exactly what it it wanted to you know like the Book of Mormon is completely perfect in how you read it today because it was in English same thing basically with um, Islam too the Quran basically it was dictated to Muhammad now the Bible is written by tons of people across millennia and then it is copied and passed on. And so the thing I want you to understand is even though this is true and there are these textual variants, it can be trusted. Um, it said, I have this quote, In this matter, it's encouraging for Christians to know that the vast majority of variants found in the scriptures are either non-viable or insignificant. Non-viable means it's very easy for the text critic to spot the mistake and make the correction. There's an extra T. Obviously, that doesn't influence anything. You're like, the, the guy was dumb and he put an extra T. You know? Um, and 
Uh, I know the word insignificant is very hard to hear when it comes to the Bible, but you must realize the nature of most variants. Of the nearly half million variants, and we're talking about like 40,000 Bible texts here, so there are some extra letters and stuff. The majority have to do with minor issues do not change the meaning of the text. Most don't even translate into English. Um, like someone put Jesus Christ instead of Christ Jesus and stuff like that and other minor variations. There's only 1% of variants that in fact make any difference that aren't like, oh, hey, that's dumb. Why did he do that? And um, so and none of them have to do with major doctrine like Jesus is God, but this one says he isn't. Like, it's not like that. We're talking about really small stuff. Um, and so it's really, 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 really small stuff. And so part of me was like, well, maybe I shouldn't even tell them about this, but we're talking about inerrancy. And so what this means when we're talking about this in the original manuscripts is that there is an error. It records things that are historically true and are true when understood in the correct context. What I mean by that is this. Um, for example, there's this story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's about this guy who he's poor and he, and he this guy is always ignoring him. Um, the rich man's ignoring this guy, Lazarus. And then this whole thing happens. They die. And this guy's down in hell and he wants water dripped down from heaven and all this stuff. You're like, wow, that's really weird. But um, Jesus is actually telling a parable there. And parables aren't meant to like say, for example, um, like the, the story of the 99 sheep and then the shepherd goes after the one. You know, is that saying necessarily there was historically 99 sheep and a shepherd went after one? Well, you know that maybe that happened. The point is, it's a parable. It's not meant to be like, and here is a true story that I'm going to tell you. And you take every single bit of what is in here as truth. Jesus is using what's called a literary device. He's telling a story to make a point. Uh, another example is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you are tempted by your eye, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better to be thrown into hell than to, um, than to struggle with these things. Now, we're like, man, that's harsh. Do you have know of anyone who has actually ever gouged out their eye or cut off their hand? Are they not doing what Jesus said? That's where it gets more difficult. That's a hard question. Jesus is using, you've probably heard this word in your English class, it's hyperbole. He's exaggerating. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus exaggerate? Because he wants them to understand a point, and they best understand it by him exaggerating. Um, and there's so much more I could go into on this. But um, what this means is, like, for example, if you turn to Job, the book of Job, most of the book of Job is Job's friends telling him why he's suffering and all the things they say are wrong. Now, what that means is that, is the Bible, that means the Bible is errant because of the things that they say about God, they're like, you're suffering because you did something wicked. Well, we know that that's not true from the beginning of Job. Does that mean it contradicts itself because they say this and then the beginning of Job says something else and the Bible is true and without error? No, it means that you have to take it how it was meant to be taken. It's not... The Bible records truth in error. For example, what I mean by this is that Job's friends tell him something that's not true. And it records that so you can see what the true thing is. But if you take that out of context, and you're like, oh, I'm going to turn to Job. How do I know why I'm suffering? Oh, obviously, because Job's friends say this, I'm suffering because I did something bad. That's not the way we read the Bible. Like, 
And part of it is that it does take a little work sometimes, especially in some of the letters and stuff, to look at it and be like, how should I be understanding this? But what that means is that when you're looking at stuff, the Bible, we believe that the Bible is inerrant. There is no error in it. But you, sometimes it takes work to understand how it should be taken. And now, I, that was like super deep. <laughs> Sorry. If you have any questions, please ask me. Authority. The Bible is the only infallible authority in the life of the believer. We talked about the infallibility of the Bible, that it, preaches on, that it teaches only true things. And in the life of the believer, this is contrasted, really, why this is included a lot, is this is not what Catholicism believes. Um, when you talk about Catholicism, they believe that there are two sources of author- infallible authority in the life of the believer, the Bible and the church. And so if the Catholic Church says something, for example, that's not in the Bible, um, it's just as true as something that is in the Bible. And so really part of the big thing that the Reformation Martin Luther was about was he's saying, you know what, I look at what the church says and it contradicts itself and they live wicked lives and they're men and men make mistakes. But we believe that the Bible is the only infallible authority. So for example, the Catholic Church can say, we believe it is right and proper and that you should pray to this saint. And they're like, okay. And they need, it's something that they should do. Um, that's something that they should do. Um, whereas we would not be that way. <laughs> We'd be like, show it to me in the Bible. So the Bible is the only infallible authority. Because it is infallible, it teaches truth, they can't teach error, blah, 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 blah. Now, Rachel challenged me to do this in one go, and so I'm going to do it. The last one, perspicuity, my favorite word. <laughs> perspicuity. The Bible is perspicacious. So you can start using this word all the time, and I would think you are the awesomest person ever. Um, I have probably not been very perspicacious so far, because we're talking about a deep subject. It means that the Bible is understandable. It can be understood. This, again, is something really that the the reformers came out with from Catholicism, because what was being taught then, and the practice was that, common people could not understand the Bible. They needed priests to teach them about it. And they needed monks to teach them about it. It was impossible for them to understand it. And what we believe about it is that it is the only infallible authority and that you can read the Bible and you can understand it. Does this mean you will understand everything? I study some stuff for like month, a month sometimes and I'm like, I don't know. What this means is that you can read the Bible and you can read, for example, the book of Colossians. You can read the book of Romans. And while you may not understand every deep theological detail right away, you can understand what the basic message of the Bible is. It is clear and it is understandable for everyone. This means that children can be saved. Um, sometimes Rachel and I kind of have this discussion, do we think Christians saved? Because he, he can communicate clearly what the gospel is, the good news. If you ask him, he can tell you. And there's obviously a lot of questions about is he really understanding and blah, 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 blah. The point is, he can, in a basic sense, understand what the Bible teaches if we explain it to him. Or he can read his little Bible, the Bible for me picture book and tell what the story is about. That's what it's about. Does that mean that you can do everything and you can read it all right away and be like, I can tell you the exact meaning of every part of this book? No. No. That's not what anyone's saying. But I put this one last because for me it is the most heartening. 
I just said a lot of really complicated stuff. But what I want you to get out of this is that you can trust the Bible that you have. And we believe as a church that it does not contain error and that it contains everything you need for life. And most importantly of all, it is God's Word, and so you can understand it. And obviously, some of you grew up Sunday school and you took your little Sunday school story. Sometimes I maybe I'm preaching a sermon and you're like, I don't really understand what he's saying. Like, just give a little time. You can read it and understand what the plain meaning of the Bible is. You understand what the good news is. And that's, that's the most heartening part. You can read the Bible and understand it if you just take the time. And, and I believe that for all of you. Whether or not you understand it now, like you get confused sometimes, just spend some time with it. The more time the more clear it becomes. You can really understand what it means. Um, and so that one to me, that's why I ended it. Um, it was something I call, actually talked about in the summer. I talked about illumination, what that means. Um, where when we read it, we understand its meaning and the Spirit, if we're Christians, the Holy Spirit, takes the meaning to our heart. It's not just the meaning of the words, but the practical meaning for us. What that means in our spirit, in our hearts. The Spirit also does that. Um, uh, unbelievers and unbelievers may understand general meaning of the Bible they're unable to comprehend the complete significance of it so that's my challenge to you know the Bible get to know it read it and understand it and let it go to your heart don't don't miss the, the significance of it don't just read the words and say oh this is what it means but understand it know who God is and that that's really the goal of the Bible I pray a lot thank you God that you didn't just plop this here and say figure it out um, he gives us the Bible so we can know Him. And if we want to know Him, that's the first place we can go. There are other parts. You know, it's living life with God, understanding more about Him. We have nature. But the Bible was what God gave us specifically to say, here, know me. And this is how you can know me. This is how you can know about Jesus. This is how you can know Him. Um, and part of it, yeah, there is some kind of mystical element with it, that you do have a relationship with the Creator of the world. But a lot of it isn't. It's, it's right here. It's like, you want to know... Uh, the example I've used before is uh, I love Harry Potter. Um, and by the time you get to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows at the end, you know what Harry's going to do. Like, it comes to the end. Sorry if you haven't read this or you haven't gotten this far. But, like, he's given the choice between, basically, between letting everyone die or sacrificing himself. And you know, you've gone through seven books with Harry. You know exactly what Harry's going to do. Like, there's no doubt in your mind what he's going to do. And why is that? Because you've spent so much time reading about him that you know how he reacts in certain situations. You know he's probably going to make a little mistake in what he does. He's going to do something stupid, but he's going to make the right choice. And the reason I give this example is because that's what it's like with the Bible. Like, at first you're just like, oh, this is weird. This is weird. But when the more time you spend with it, you're like, I understand who God is. This is... I'm spending time and I'm, I'm learning more about how God reacts, how he treats his children how he worked in this nation, Israel. And after a while, you know God because you took the time to read about him. And so that's the purpose of the Bible. I do think it's understandable. And that is what our church believes as well. So the Bible is not huge breaking ground in, the, in this series that we're doing, but I think it's important. And hopefully you know what some of these words mean now when we're throwing them around. Maybe I'll quiz you sometime. So let's pray and then we can go down and eat. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the life we have in you. And we just pray for the meal we're going to have, um, that it would strengthen us. And we thank you so much for your sacrifice and for this day to worship you. Amen. It's really humid in here.